Our scripture passage today comes from the prophet Zechariah. Uh, this summer we are in a series. We are looking at these prophets that are called the minor prophets. And they're just the prophets that happen to write shorter books than the greater or the longer prophets. And the prophet we're looking at today is the prophet Zechariah. This is from his book that he wrote, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Uh, before we read that, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, Lord, the God who has revealed truth to us, Lord. You've revealed it in the works of your creation around us, Lord. You revealed it to the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and you have revealed it most abundantly in the words of your Holy Scripture. But Father, as we approach these words today, we know we can understand none of the things that you wrote here unless that same Spirit that inspired them then will inspire us now. So Father, we pray you breathe your Holy Spirit among us in heart and in our minds and in our souls, Lord, that we may read, that we may hear, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the prophet Zechariah, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Listen now to the word of the Lord. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, Every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Call me out upon the world. 
Right, special thanks for our choir for that. I don't, uh, I don't know how I feel about trying to follow that, but, you know. So thankful we have you, though. So these days, we hear a lot about bullying that goes on in school. You know, uh, kids getting picked on by other kids. And, you know, something that's been going on for years and years. But when I was in school, I had a very unique experience with bullying. Because I was bullied by my teachers. I was. My teachers picked on me. They were, I know, somebody, <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. I was just singled out and picked on so much. And I would try to explain it to my mom. But even she wouldn't believe me. I saw how hard it was. I would get in trouble. Come home and mom, mom, well, Rob, what's going on? Why'd you get in trouble? And I tried to explain it wasn't me. It was the teachers picking on me. I didn't do anything. Everybody else around me was doing a lot worse. I don't know why I was singled out. I'll give you a case in point. Miss Jones, she was my physical science teacher in 10th grade. And she was just merciless. I mean, always giving me a hard time about work I haven't done or not doing well enough on a test or talking or not studying and just, oh man, it was awful. And I promise she singled me out. And okay, well, okay, full disclosure, full disclosure here. All right, I was failing, okay? <laughs> I'll admit that, but I wasn't the only one failing. And I knew it because I hung out with the other guys that were failing too. And she didn't give them near as a hard time as she gave me. And it frustrated me so much. And one day, she even called me in after class. And I mean, and she read the riot act to me. She tore me up one side and down another, just, just awful tongue lashing. And I'd had enough. I was like, Miss Jones, how come you don't say the other thing to those other guys? And I know they're failing. Because they tell me they're failing. We all talk about how we're failing, but you don't give them the same hard time that you're giving me. And she told me something that day that really stood out. It stuck with me, and I remember it to this day. She looked at me and she said, you know what, Rob? I really don't think those other guys can do much better. She goes, I hate to say it like this, but I think maybe with some work they might top out at D's. She said, but you know what? I know you can do better. And I really think that if you put just a little bit of effort in here, you could probably ace this class. She said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to keep giving you a hard time. And true to her word, she kept giving me a hard time. But that, that interaction that day, it really introduced this new concept to me. And one that I really had never never even entertained in my life, and, and a concept that I'm still coming to terms with today. And that's the concept of we push the people who have the greatest potential. That we are hardest on the people that we see have the greatest potential. And sometimes being hard on somebody and pushing them, it's not a sign of anger. It's not a sign of displeasure. It doesn't mean you don't like them. It's a sign of favor. It means you do like them. And you have seen something in them that you know would be a shame if it didn't come out. 
And so you push them. I mean, that's why we push our kids, right? It's because, not because we don't like them. I know kids, you think that, that we're hard on you because we don't like you. That's not the case. It's because we do like you. In fact, we love you, and we know that there is something good in you, and we might have to push you a little bit, or in some of my cases, push you a lot <laughs> in order to see that potential come out. And sometimes we'll give you a hard time. A very hard time. Now, personally, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to admit something to you. I, when I face hard times, I take it very personally. I take it very personally and, and, and internalize it. And when I'm about hard times, I'm not necessarily talking about like just tragedy and just heartbreaking grief, but just the hard times that we have to face in life. And I, and I seem to go through these times where I can just do nothing right. Nothing works. Just everything I do fails, it falls apart. No matter how much effort I put into it, I just can't seem to make any headway at all. It's like there's this invisible barrier, and I'm just, just pounding against this barrier, and I can't just move it at all. And, and, and I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll get whiny. I'll get whiny, even in my prayers. And I've said this, I was like, God, do you just not like me? I mean, what gives? Do you just not like me? Have, have I done something to offend you so much that you're just going to frustrate me through my entire life? And I've made prayers like that before. Because I look around, I'm like, you know, it looks like everyone's having an easier time at this than me. I mean, everybody else seems to be able to figure it out. Everyone else seems to be just coasting through life here. Why am I so unlucky? Does it sound familiar? Or maybe I'm the only one. If not, maybe you're much more mature than I am, and bless you for being that way if you are. But that's the way a lot of us feel sometimes. We look at our hardships and when our difficulties that we face in life, and we wonder, does God just have it out for me? And I want to propose an idea to you today, and it's going to sound a little crazy. And it might sound just counterintuitive to everything that, that we've been taught or just grown up to believe. But I want you to just keep an open mind. And the idea is this, that maybe the difficulties and the hard times we face is actually a sign of God's favor. Maybe. Maybe when we go through these hard times, it's a sign of God's favor. It, and it's not what we think, that God is angry with us. Or that God has turned his face from us. Or that he disapproves of us. Or he likes other people better than us. That maybe when we're going through these hard times, God is actually showing us a sign of his favor. It goes back to what Miss Jones told me those years ago. Maybe God is pushing you because he sees great potential. Now, I know it sounds really off because, let's be honest, disappointment and hardships and tribulations, they hurt. They really hurt. Sometimes they hurt and they just cut us right down to the core. And so if that's a sign of God's favor, we're going to ask, does that mean God wants to hurt us? Does that mean God wants to see us go through pain? 
And I want to dissuade you from that notion immediately. God does not want to hurt you. God loves you tremendously. And what that means is that, that he, he empathizes with everything that you go through. When you hurt, God hurts with you. When you grieve, God grieves with you. When you feel pain, God feels that pain with you. When you are carrying a heavy burden in life, God is right there with you carrying that burden. And in fact, you couldn't carry that burden at all unless he was carrying the burden with you. This is what the Bible says about God and our pain. Psalm 34, 18, God is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147.3, God heals the brokenhearted. He binds up all of their wounds. God is near to us in our pain. He is near to us in our compassion. And whenever we hurt, God hurts too. At the same time though, although, I will say this, he does allow us to hurt. He does allow us to go through pain. He does allow us to go through difficulty and disappointment. But it is not a sign, I would argue today, of his anger or of his disapproval. The fact that God allows us to go through those difficult times is actually a sign of God's favor. I'll give you a case in point today. The prophet Zechariah, our minor prophet of the week, the guy I read for you from just a, a few minutes ago. His prophecy is a little bit longer than most of the minor prophets. He takes up 14 chapters. But, uh, but this prophet packs a lot in those sh few short 14 chapters. Now, he's prophesying a little bit later than most of the prophets we've talked about so far. Um, this is after the fall of Israel. And, the, um, and, and the, the Israelite people have returned to Jerusalem now, and they've started to rebuild the temple. And this is the time that Zechariah is prophesying. And, and in his work, what you find is, is, is really amazing. All of the major prophetic works of God that have been through the Israelite history are all told again in the prophet Zechariah. As he goes all the way, starting with, the, with God's disappointment and anger at Israel's disobedience, and he goes all the way through their return back to Babylon, um, through the coming of the Messiah. Um, he goes all the way to the day of the Lord that we find in the book of Revelation. It's like all the prophets squeezed into a few chapters. we got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel all compressed into 14 chapters. It's like the, the Cliff Notes version of the prophets. If you want to get just a real quick, brief overview of all the major prophetic works of God, it's right here in the, in the book of Zechariah. But so what we find here towards the end of this in chapter 13 is a prophecy of Christ. A prophecy of the coming Messiah. And also prophesying on what's going to happen to the people who decide to follow the Messiah. And in it he characterizes not only the Messiah, but the people of Christ as people who will endure tribulation and suffering. 13, 7 to 9, the part that I, uh, I read to you today. This is what he says. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. 
and I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. I first read this, it sounds like God's being mean. I mean, he's going to take the shepherd and strike him with the sword. Not just the shepherd, he says, my shepherd, I will strike with the sword. The one who is standing right here beside me. And of course, he's talking about Christ here. And in striking him with the sword, he's saying that he will die by death. He will die by crucifixion. And he will be struck down for the sins of the people. And when Christ is struck down, he says two-thirds of the people will fall away. That means the majority of those who should believe in the Messiah are going to fall away and not going to believe. And it's only going to be one-third that is left. And this one-third is uh, they're characterizing all believers. Jews are Gentiles. Those present and those to come are in this one-third that are left. And what does God say he's going to do with this one-third? He says, I'm going to throw them in the fire. So congratulations, you are the one-third, the remnant that has kept your faith. Vanna, would you like to tell them what they've won? They get thrown in the fire. They get tribulation as their prize for staying faithful. God said, I will refine them as silver and I will test them as gold. They will have tribulation and hardships. And that's what he gives to his favored ones. Gives them hardship. Gives them tribulation. Now I know it doesn't seem right to us. We're faithful and he gives us hardship and tribulation. But that's exactly what you do when you see potential. You push them. And give them a little bit of tribulation, some hardship. That's what you see when you find gold and silver. You got to dig it out of a rock, but once you've dug it out of rock, it's still rock and slag and trash in it. And the only way to clean it off is you throw it in the fire. You throw it in the fire, and everything that is not silver or gold is burned away, and what's left behind is a pure and attested precious metal. But you don't throw anything into the fire unless you see the gold and the silver. In the middle of the trash. See, when God looks at you, He looks through your sin. He looks past your fear. He looks past your self doubt. God looks past your brokenness, past all of your issues, past all of your hurts, past all of your pains, past all of your self esteem issues, past all of the things that you have ever done wrong, past your guilt and past your shame. He looks past all of that and he sees gold. He sees the gold and the silver of your heart. And it's a sign of his love that he will purify you. And he will make you his own. Liz and I watched this uh, show this week called The Terminal List. Have y'all heard of that? It's, uh, it's on Amazon. It's a really good show, but I'm going to warn you, it's a violent show, okay? It's one of those with lots of guns and explosions and, and, and you know, people fighting and warfare and all that. If you like that kind, it's your show. If not, stay away from it. 
But, but in this show, it, um, the, the main character was a Navy SEAL. And as we know, the Navy SEALs are like the elite of the American armed forces. And during the show, he was uh, the main character having flashbacks of his training as a Navy SEAL. And let me tell you, it's, it's, it's hard training. It's known as probably the toughest training that, or one of the toughest training the military has to offer. Uh, apparently, you're in cold water a whole lot. And they put you through the ringer. They try you, and they test you, and they make you suffer. And they have a bell sitting right there, and they say, whenever you want to quit, you can just get up, and you can ring that bell, and it can all be over. But you know the way you make a Navy SEAL is you put them through hardships. You try them, and you test them. All right, a Navy SEAL's not made through deep tissue massage and mani petties and feeding them gourmet food and luxury vacations. A Navy SEAL's made with a lot of hard training, a lot of discomfort, and pushed to their very limits. Because that's the only way that you can get their potential out. Now, I want you to imagine something for a minute. Just honestly imagine for a moment that if the moment you became a Christian, everything went perfect for you. Like right there, the moment you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then life became a yellow brick road. It was just all rosy and nice. Right? Anytime you picked a stock, it always went up. There was always lots of money in your bank account. You got a promotion once a year. Your kids were well-behaved and they made all A's. You and your wife always got along and were happy. You always had perfect vacations. Your car never broke down. Your toast never burned. Your roof never leaked. You never got sick. I mean, imagine for a moment if that is what it was like when you became a Christian. Of course, everybody... Everybody would want to be a Christian then. I mean, they would just flock to the faith because they wanted to be just that kind of lucky too. But I want you to ask yourself and seriously, just honestly consider this. If that was the life God gave us as a Christian, what kind of person would you be? What kind of person would that make you? Somebody very, very accustomed to getting their own way. Someone who is really good at having a good time. Kind of like that uh, country song, I'm pretty good at drinking beer. Is that what it would make us? Pretty good at drinking beer. I mean, it sounds great. It sounds great. Who wouldn't want that? But that's not who God is making us. That's not the kind of people that God is fashioning us to be. That's not the kind of people that make up the kingdom of God. God doesn't need people who are good at spending money and being comfortable and people who are really great at being well-dressed with, with palates so discerning they can only stomach the finest food and the, the most exquisite drink. God doesn't need people who can only sleep on silk sheets and can only wear the designer clothes and the latest fashions. It doesn't need people who know all the most important people that are the most well-connected and the most popular. God doesn't need people who are well-fed and soft and dainty and fragile. God can't use people that are well-kept, who are oblivious, who are pampered and spoiled. 
can't use people who have no scars on their face or calluses on their hands. Can't do much with people bred on luxury and excess who have never felt pain, who have never known disappointment, who have never felt grief or hurt or betrayal or heartache. It's not the kind of people we find in the kingdom of God. No, God needs people who are wise, who are faithful, who are enduring. God needs people that are hopeful. God needs people with character and integrity and strength and also people with compassion. God needs people who know the value of kindness because they've experienced cruelty. God needs people who know the value of forgiveness because they've been caught in a cycle of revenge. God needs people who know the value of truth because they've been hurt by deception, who know the value of virtue and goodness because they've witnessed the destructive power of evil. God needs people who know the value of love because they felt the sting of hatred. That's the kind of people that will fill the kingdom of God. People who have known heartache and grief. People who have endured pain. People who have been lost and found themselves again. People who have been broken and put back together. God needs people who are burned and scarred, battle-tested, dented, scratched. People with crow's feet and deep wrinkles and gray hair. God needs people with eyes that have seen too much, with minds that can go deep beneath the surface. God needs people with the will that can keep going when the body's screaming at you to stop. God needs people with hearts hard enough to endure the most extreme trials, but also with hearts soft enough to show mercy to a defeated enemy. God needs people who have passed through the fire and have come out tempered and transformed and still trusting in the goodness and the power of God. God needs people who have been buffeted by trials and have kept their faith. People who have passed through storms and emerged on the other side with their hope intact. God needs people who have been hated and they still love. People who have been assaulted by Satan and didn't give up. People who have faced the tribulations of life and death and did not waver in their trust in God's immortal and enduring love. These are the kinds of people that God needs. These are the kinds of people that God is making. These are the people of the kingdom of God. Now, I always get asked why God things allow God allows bad things to happen, especially to good people. Why God allows us to feel such deep and terrible hurt sometimes. And honestly, I don't know. And I'm not trying to explain them to you or explain them away now. I don't know why God always lets bad things happen, but I do know what he does with our difficult times. And he's using all of your hardships to refine you like silver. And to test you like gold. God is using all of your hardships and all your trials so that when you emerge, God will say, this, this is my people. And we will say, the Lord is my God. And hardships and difficult times are not a sign of anger and they're not a sign of the disapproval of God. If you remember nothing else today, please remember this. When you go through difficulty and hardship, it doesn't mean God's angry. It doesn't mean he disapproves of you. In fact, it's a sign of his favor. It's a sign 
that God has seen gold in you. It means he has seen in you the greatest potential of all. The potential to be his people. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.